continue this against the team he played for for the first seven years of his big league career. Odor high in the right field at the wall. We are tied. You serious? A ninth inning roller coaster ride for Rubnet Odor. Up and down and sideways and a 9-9 tie at the end of it all. A base hit away from winning this game. And no one you'd rather have up right now than Cedric Mullins, who's working on quite a night. In the left field from Mullins. That is going to get past Duggar. Everybody go home. One of the most ridiculous baseball games of the year. It belongs to the Baltimore Orioles. All right, here we go, folks. Welcome to Sportsbook Radio from the Brian Blessing Studio in Las Vegas, brought to you by Station Casinos and the STN app. That's Chris Johnson at the controls. I'm Dana Lane. Thanks for joining us. That's an insane game last night. That was crazy. I am so happy that I didn't have any interest financially in that one because those are the types of games. And I did have uh, Arizona and San Francisco under last night, but there's something about Diamondback games that I cannot, I just can't watch. I don't know what it is, and especially when they're playing San Francisco. (laughs) There's just something about those two teams that – visually is not appealing to me but fortunately got that win fortunately got the dodgers colorado game under it's a decent night it's been a good uh good good little run here yeah so i'm happy with that how's everything with you uh, I'm feeling better. Yeah. My mouth isn't hurting as much as it was please yesterday. Don't, please don't give us the the breakdown the of the breakdown. No, yeah. I'm not going to do that. That was yesterday. That was fun. But um, yeah, yeah, no. Besides that, I'm just having a good day. Where you know, it's a good it's a good Wednesday, and you know, we're just kind of just get. So you have surgery life. scheduled. I have next surgery week. scheduled. Let's get next that week. out. Uh, yeah, no. So I have surgery next week. Uh, they're finally putting me under, so I'm not going to feel the pain of getting my teeth ripped out. But uh, that's going to be cool. I'm really excited about that. Besides that, though, we're kind of just just kind of relaxing. I really liked the performance last night from Chet Holmgren, playing with some players that are actually going to be playing next year with the Thunder. So that was cool to see him go out there and drop 23, 7, and 6. Turns out we were both talking about it. It didn't seem right. And we don't know if it's – I don't know what it is. But it said the summer league record of threes and blocks in a game he has now. Which is four and six. Six which is, blocks. Which yeah. is so weird. Six blocks, four three-pointers. Like, I've seen more three-pointers be hit in a summer league game. But I think if you're a Thunder fan, you got to be excited to see him do I what think, he did. Did you do any – like like I said before we went on the air, I, I think this is a Los Angeles summer league record. I looked it up, and I couldn't find anything about it. It said just NBA. It, wasn't, it didn't say anything with the Los Angeles summer league. It was just said NBA summer league. Because it seems to me – Throughout the history of Summer League. Someone's had to which have hit was four threes. Way before they even started to have Summer League in Vegas. Yeah. Because uh, the, uh, the Rocky Mountain Review has been... I mean, that, that's gone on forever. Yeah. Uh, there, and that was prior to the, the Summer League coming here in Vegas. And had to be somebody. I mean, Lonzo Ball. <laughs> That's hit more than four. Went off one summer league in his summer league. He went off, and I thought he hit more than four threes in a game. It felt like he did at least. So Holmgren had seven rebounds, four assists, six blocks, twenty-four minutes, twenty-three Thund- points. Thund- Thunder beat the Jazz ninety-eight seventy-seven, 
And, and it does say, it says he becomes the first player in summer league history to record at least five blocks and hit four three-pointers. That's okay, what so it maybe, must be. It might be a combined that's stat. That's what it is. It might be a combined stat. It's what it is. So but five, I think, five yeah. blocks and four three-pointers, which makes a lot more sense. sense. Now we're thinking about it. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. yeah. But I, th- I think if you're a Thunder fan, you've got to be excited about that. I mean, he said, and he said he's like, I'm not, I'm not weak as you guys think I am. He goes, I, I'm, I'm wiry strong. I'll, I'll also fill out a little bit to get to this point where I feel like I can still move the way I normally do and be effective. And I'm like, okay. I mean, if he, if he turns out to be a Kevin Durant type where he just plays small forward, power forward, like here and there, power forward, I'm more okay with him being that tall and being that skinny. But if he's like, if he's like going strictly center, no. Because he had good perimeter defense. Yeah, I saw him going outside in the perimeter playing good defense. So I ex- I'm excited to see what he's going to do. He seems more interesting now. Uh, I see him in the summer league a little bit more with grown men trying to pay their mortgages playing against him for one game. I want to see more few games of him doing the same thing. But, like, you know, it's a little bit more interesting to see him do that now. He's he keeping his we, level of performance up. Can, can we pump the brakes just a, a little bit? A little a bit. Summer league game. Oh, I know. Yeah. But, I mean, good, good, good uh, flashes of who he can be. Of course, last night, a lot of baseball going on, but this this story came out of Oakland where four baseball fans were injured by a, by bullet fragments outside the Coliseum while attending a post-game July 4th fireworks show, uh, according to the Oakland police and the athletics. This was on Tuesday. None of the injuries were life-threatening and police, uh, which was confirmed by the police and the A's. But the, the police, I guess, were initially notified uh, that there was a possible shooting victim inside the ballpark and then they went and obviously investigated that further the officers located the three fans that were struck by the bullet fragments and basically what this comes down to it was july 4th and i guess what they do in oakland and other places is to celebrate which you know brings us back to what used to be the wild west is they just shoot guns in the air and that's exactly what it happened. What happened, and that's how the three friend, uh, the three fans, were hit by the shrapnels. But I, I just don't. And there was an additional. I guess somebody else got hit, and he walked to the hospital. But I just don't understand, Chris. I don't understand the mentality, and we talked about this yesterday. Where, how, if you are looking at another human being, where are you mentally as a person, where you can say? I'm going to pull a trigger. Not not only, not just on another person, but just up in the air. It's, I mean, you see how, it's just, I don't understand where you are as a person, where you feel as if this is something that I should be doing right now. It's 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 confusing because it's like, it looks like you shoot a gun in the air. I'm, my mind just goes, so you thought if I shoot the gun in the air, the bullet's not going to come down. Hey, how about this? Why don't you why don't you light a sparkler? Okay? <laughs> well, light a sparkler. Why do you have to take a gun and shoot it in the air for what? Why? Because you have one? If because you want to see if you want to see explosives or anything like that, then use a motor bomb. The motor bombs are they're fireworks too and they're more exciting to see. Or or use Roman candles. Roman candles are fun. It's not about this. It's about showing that they have a weapon. Yeah, that, what, is it? what it is. You know what it is for most people that have weapons? Not most. Some people. Mm-hmm. It's that first time as a, as a young, young kid or whenever it was that you had that first $100 in your wallet. 
And you couldn't keep it there because you wanted that, I've got to use this. I've got to spend it. I've got to shoot it. That's where the mentality is. And I'm not going, believe me, I'm not going down the, the gun avenue. It's not the show we do. But I just, again, I read this and I go, and I say to myself, where are you <laughs> that you can do this? That you feel as if that this is okay to do. I just have never been there. I, I've never to the, I've never been to the point, and believe me, there's no perfection on this side. But I've never been to the point where I wanted to do damage to somebody else in that manner, or I wanted to vandalize their car, or you know the, the things that you see today. I just it was never at that point, and I I don't and I feel bad because. There had to be something in this person's history or the family's legacy that planted the seed for this individual to say, hey, we're, we're at a 4th of July, uh, we're, we're at a 4th of July parade. We're going to start unloading. We're at a 4th of July celebration in Oakland. We're going to shoot it up in the air. I, I just don't live in that world. And, and believe it or not, Despite what social media tells you or what you th- might think, 95% of us don't live in that world. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why you think 95% is, is high is because the people that are doing what they're supposed to do on a daily basis don't need to post it on social media. It's always the people that are trying to go outside of what you're supposed to do as an individual that needs to post it or needs to be seen or have the spotlight on them. This sort of stuff drives me absolutely insane. Um, of course, we talked about Brittany Griner yesterday, and I, I read just a part uh, of her letter that was published. And the part that really got me here was she says, as I sit in a Ru- Russian prison alone with my thoughts and without the protection of my wife, family, friends, Olympic jersey, or any of accomplishments, I'm terrified I might be here forever. And she goes on to say, On the 4th of July, our family normally honors the service of those who fought for our freedom, including my father, who was in, a, who was in Vietnam. She says, It hurts thinking about how I usually celebrate this day because this day has become, if freedom for this day has become something completely different. And I talk all the time, and I'm, again, I'm not going down this road. Mm-hmm. But I do once in a while on social media go down this road. I, I do not care. The imperfections of this country are well documented. But we live in the greatest country on earth where you can wake up every single day and make something of yourself. You are not a product of your, it, 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 you're not a product in some cases in most cases, of your environment. And even if you are, it does get to the point where you're a product of your choices eventually. It's nice to wake up and say, it's on me and I can make something of ourselves, of myself, and not have my government dictate that I have to go in the military or I have to, you know, basically I can't say what I think about them. Be thankful that we can get on social media and act like a bunch of clowns and point the fingers and say to Democrats this and the Republicans that. Be thankful we're in that type of a country. 
because my wife has been all over the world. White as white could be, traveling through the Middle East. Somebody who would actually have an issue. She's telling, she's, she tells me, like, you have no idea. You have no idea how lucky you are to wake up in this country every day, no matter how much you think things are broken. Just being down in Mexico two weeks ago, watching kids with, with cups on the side of the road. By themselves, by the way. And we're not talking 12, 13-year-olds. We're talking 5, 6, 7-year-olds. I, I couldn't give my money fast enough. I don't know if I'm getting, if they're, if that's helping them. We have no idea how great we have it. It's not perfect. It's closer than most. College football season, of course, is starting up just 52 days away from now. Off in Dublin, Ireland. (laughs) Of course, Northwestern and Nebraska started all off. Uh, There's nothing that says college football more than Northwestern, Nebraska, Ireland, Big Ten, who has nowhere near 10 teams in the the conference anymore. Uh, It's so difficult to to sort the landscape of college football out, but we're going to try to do it conference by conference. Today, we're going to look at the Big Ten. And, of course, in order to look at each individual conference, we're going to bring in the man who breaks it all down, Every single year, Mark Lawrence from PlaybookSports.com. And Mark, I must be living in some kind of bizarre world where the Big Ten opens up conference play with Nebraska, who I still think is in the Big 12, in Dublin, Ireland, in a conference that has 16 teams. <laughs> well, I guess it would it would it would not be a nonfiction book. It would certainly be a fiction book that you're reading, and uh, it's unfortunately something we're living with right now. I don't know what deal was cut between Nebraska and Northwestern to make that run to Ireland, but uh, you know it is what it is. There's nothing we're going to be able to do about it. It's nice to see that, like you mentioned, we're only a, a deck of cards away, 52 weeks from the start of this. 2022 college football season and i wanted to say to you before we get into the big 10 preview i walk into the studio today and here is the shiny mark lawrence playbook 2022 football preview guide we got two boxes of them in the back i mean this is fantastic and as i go through this the one thing that i really love about your playbook mark and we've talked about this before is I have room to like mon- uh, to log all these games, and it's a matter of it's you know Stanford, South Southern Mississippi, or going to the NFL. I mean, I could log all these games. I could make notes. I mean, this to me is the epitome of what a preview magazine should be. Well, I appreciate that very much, Dana. It's a kind words, and it was all designed with that thought in mind. What would I like to see if I were looking for a, the perfect preview magazine? to be able to use it as a tool to move forward throughout the course of the season with. And uh, the, the other thing that, uh, you know, Brian used to always call out is the fact that everything was all alphabetical. Uh, so you can get to the, you can find your team page right away without having to, you know, scurry through ads or wonder what conferences teams are in and so forth and whatnot. So, uh, you know, we thought we built a, a pretty good product there and uh, it is our 30th anniversary issue of it. So we're pretty excited about that as well. And of course, as we turn, uh, to page 23, our good friend Brian Blessing 
uh, front and center on page 24. And that's nice of you. You put my name in there. That's very nice of you. But uh, great to see his photo in there. And uh, uh, it's uh, – I'd be lying if I didn't tell you it, it put some shivers down my back to see him in the magazine. Well, I was really, really uh, thrilled that, you know, it was your suggestion, your idea to do just that. And I thought how wonderful, how terrific, and uh, really, really nice on your part because, you know, it, we could have been promoting the Dana Lane Sportsbook Radio Show, and uh, the way we did it, it worked out real well, and uh, we'll continue to keep doing that as we move forward. All right, let's get into the Big Ten. And I, before I do this, what what is the future of the Rose Bowl at this point? Up in the air. <laughs> right. At best, right? Yeah. yeah. At best, yeah. Up in the air. I mean, you know, if anybody has an answer to that, uh, it would be an inside scoop uh, because we don't even know what the future of the Big Ten is, nor the Pac-12. And will these two conferences meet again in a bowl game? Yes. Will it be the, a Rose Bowl game? That's the big question mark. Uh, it's a shame because uh, the Big Ten's had that tie into the Rose Bowl since 1946. And uh, it's a long, long tradition. Uh, I certainly hope that some way, somehow, they can keep this thing alive, especially if they can keep the Pac-12 breathing. All right, let's go in alphabetical order. We'll start in the east. We'll start uh, with Indiana. I mean, talk about a team that was projected to be a major player on the national level but really just ended up being horrific. They won two games last year. Uh, Most of that was because of uh, injuries at the quarterback position to Michael Penix. I mean, where do you foresee them uh, going into 2022? Well, you know, I would like to say that uh, a lot was thought of this team going into the season last year. They were number 17 in the AP preseason poll, and they ended up with two wins in the season. That's about as much of a crash and burn as any college football team could endure. But they had to do just that. The tough thing for them is the fact that uh, they played a ton of seniors last year that made starts, which means that uh, they're gone, and the young kids are now about ready to uh, assume that position this particular season. So I think it just looks like a rebuild process for Tom Allen and the Indiana Hoosiers right now. His best chance was last year with all those abundance of starters and returning production coming back, and it just flat out didn't pan out. And I'm, a, I'm afraid that we're going to see this Indiana football team back to where they were uh, before they had their little resurgence here of late uh, since Tom Allen put a, an extra shot in their arm when he came over to the team five years ago. But I think these, it's going to be a buildup once again for Indiana. But interesting, though, in September, and one great thing, one of the great things about your magazine is you have a, a play-on or play-against feature. You have a play-on Indiana against Cincinnati. Yeah, and what we're doing is we're using that formula that we discussed last week. And if you take a look at the stat logs that are listed in the um, in the Preview Guide magazine, Indiana page, underneath the schedule, you'll see that when they did play Cincinnati last year at home, uh, they were beat 38-24, to 24, but they out-yarded the Bearcats in that football game. And at the very right-hand column of that stat log is what we call an RES. That's a rescore. It's like a fielding independent pitcher baseball rating of what the pitcher's ERA would be if there weren't any errors behind them. And a rescore is a rescore of what the football game would have been if there weren't any turnovers involved in the game. So hmm. you look at that game there, they lost 38-24, but in a rescore would have had Indiana winning 25-22. 
that's the you know that's the mindset of the players as they go into this rematch here that hey you know we outplayed these guys last year this is Cincinnati and uh, we're going to be a big big underdog in a football game like this so you know we'll see whether or not that could be enough to spur Indiana to cash that ticket when they invade Cincinnati at the end of September and moving on to Maryland do you look for the I assume you look for the Terps to build off of what they did last year, successful year, their first winning season in two years. There was a win over Virginia Tech in the Pinstripe Bowl. Uh, I assume that you think they're going to build off of that. I believe they will. Uh, you know, a, a lot of that was uh, because of the Tua Tagovailoa's younger brother, and uh, he really, really matured. Uh, doing just that. Uh, he's coming back this year with nine other starters on the football team. The top three wide receivers are coming back as well. So there's a lot to like or to build with with this Maryland football team. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'll admit that I was not a big Michael Oxley coach uh, fan of his at all. I mean, coming into when he inherited the job, he had shown a propensity to find ways to lose games against good football teams. He sort of turned that around here uh, with Maryland. And, uh, you know, when he started out and he went 3-9, and he says, "Uh uh-oh, here we go. And then two wins in 2020. This is Michael Oxley. But, you know, something happened last year. A magic elixir happened or something. But anyway, bottom line is uh, they do have a bunch of returning starters. they got the tag of Viola coming back at the quarterback position here. And I think this team could end up being a bowl-caliber type football team this year. Uh, but you do have to be a, a little careful, right, with this team because they are not a team that seems to get better as the year goes on, especially you know when you're talking about cashing tickets. And then early on against SMU, you also think that's a play against spot as well. Yeah, well, we called out the fact that Maryland uh, does, you know, they kind of tend to leak oil down the down the end of the stretch from Game 7 on out in the last nine years uh, during the regular season. When they come off a win, they're 0-10 moving forward. So it's very, very difficult for this team to repeat success late in the football season. And uh, our play on SMU for this for this football game here is more a play here for them being in their particular role. There's nothing they didn't play last year. There's no you know, there's no uh, revenge incentive for this football team other than the fact that uh, they do open the Big Ten prior to that. The mindset being that we can get this football win against SMU and head to the Big Ten, feeling awfully confident about ourselves. And. If there's a team, I mean, I don't know how this can happen, but it seems like Jim Harbaugh has, has made his way to this conclusion that, hey, look, Michigan seems like a team that although they made it to the post to the playoff, they seem to still have a chip on their shoulder for some reason. He seems very optimistic in Harbaugh that they will compete for another national title this year. But uh, I think many people that I've talked to seems to think that this team is still being overlooked. Well, I think they're being overlooked because personally, I think that they're overvalued. Uh, it's a football team last year that you know they did all these good things. They you know they finally come out of their their shell. They, they knocked off Ohio State. Uh, you know they did a lot of good things. Uh, remember last year, this football team went from a two-win team to a 12-win team, and just in the the course of my database, you don't find teams that improve 10 games in a season to be able to improve the next football season here. To ask them to improve in a 12-win season is practically next to impossible. And the other side of that coin being that they're going to be going into a lot of revenge situations for all the teams they knocked off last football season here. So I think that this is going to be a very, little bit of a disappointing season for Michigan as opposed to the great success they met with last year. And, of course, they've always had a little bit of an issue of 
finishing seasons off. And, and most of that is because Ohio State uh, is usually in that last two. You have Illinois and Ohio State to end the year, but this is not a Michigan team that usually f- uh, finishes well. Uh, but you do say that there's a decent spot in September uh, against Michigan State. So you think they should start off okay, but it's always the back end that, that is worrisome for Wolverine fans. Well, yeah, the, uh, the decent spot against Michigan State obviously being their their arch rival and the fact that uh, they took that loss to them last year. Uh, they were tw- or they were favorite or favorite of the football game four and a half point road chalk. So that will get their attention unquestionably. But the point you call out about Michigan bottoming out at the end of a football season, people don't realize, you go back to 2012, in their final two games of the season, they're just 3-17. and 17. Uh, they sort of wear out. I don't know if it's the hardball, uh, the, the football team just looking for, they're running out of gas because of what's happened to them, but uh, it's not a good trend at all. And, you know, they could probably get by Illinois, but uh, it certainly doesn't speak well when they invade the horseshoe to take on Ohio State the last game of the season. And you talk about a team that's probably going to rely on their defense this year. There's not too many teams that had a bigger jump than Michigan State. Uh, they went from two wins in 2020 to 11 last year, but uh, certainly their defense has to play well for them to stay in the race. Another team, I think, between the Michigans, uh, the Wolverines and the Spartans, you have a pair of two-win teams that met with great success last football season here. And I think it'd be very, very unlikely to parlay the success that they had last year back into that same success this football season here. You know, that saying, what goes up usually comes down. Mel Tucker, uh, for all of the good things they did last year, signed a contract that actually pays him more money than it does Ryan Day at Ohio State. Uh, and I think that's ludicrous. I'm sure that goes over well. Oh, I'm sure it does. <laughs> <laughs> and you can rest assured that when Ohio State invades Michigan State on October 8th, uh, you know, they'll be talking about that a little bit as well. But, uh, you know, they did meet with all this great surprising success last year. They're a little bit thin on the returning starter side of things. There's only five starters back from offense. They lose Kenneth Walker, who was a big, big uh, cog to their success last football season. He kept the defenses on us. Uh, so I think, again, uh, between Michigan and Michigan State, I think these are two football teams that could ultimately end up disappointing this football season. And, Mark, did I read that Michigan State allowed more yards than it actually gained themselves last year? I mean, that that's saying something for an 11-win team, isn't it? Well, that's the red flag. You hit it right on the head there, Dana. Uh, you know, the first thing I do when I'm assessing the football teams statistically is I'll look at what improvement or decline there was from the team from the previous football season. And when you uh, there was improvement uh, offensively. Now they went backwards uh, 48 yards or 46 yards last year defensively. But here you, uh, you have a team that won 11 games last year and allowed more yards than they gained. That's a no-no, okay, and that's especially a no-no for a team that's a very popular football team to, to have to come back and repeat that success. So I think those are all factors that just pile on to the anti-Michigan State stance we're taking this football season. Mark, Ohio State has to be loaded because every time I look up, it seems like, and maybe it's because I'm tapped into Notre Dame more than just about anybody else, but it seems like every time I look up, Notre Dame is landing another three, four, five-star recruit but then I'm looking at the opening line for their game against Ohio State, and the Buckeyes are almost a 15-point favorite uh, against a team that seems to have this incredible recruiting class. And I know Ohio State is is number two or number one in some of the other uh, when you're ranking the classes. But, man, this Ohio State team must be just loaded. 
they're loaded and they're loaded for bear this football season here. Uh, it was the first time Ryan Day had failed uh, to make his way to the Big Ten championship game last football season here. So you know he's seething about that. The biggest reason they didn't make it was their defense has really mysteriously disappeared the last two football seasons here. Uh, they ranked ninth in the conference in overall defense each of the past two seasons. That's very atypical for a Ryan Day football team. So what did he do? He went out and he brought in four new assistant coaches, including, and when I talked last year about the reasons why Ohio State will, will be the team to beat this year, and I'll tell you why, this is the reason why. They brought Jim Knowles in from Oklahoma State as their defensive coordinator. He's a 34-year veteran, and if you look at what he did at Oklahoma State the three years he was there, they improved significantly defensively each and every year he was there. He inherited a 452-yard defense. He left. They were a 294-yard defense here. This is exactly what Ohio State needs here. They need to button up the defense because the offense is going to be there. And look at their schedule here, Dana. They open up the season five games in a row at home. This is a really clear-cut path to the playoffs for Ohio State. And if they do anything less than win the Big Ten, I will be shocked. In an early season trend that you should take note of, they're 24-0 against teams playing 900 ball or less. And and the reason why I say early season trend is, for the most part, Every team they play, except a one and O team or a two and O team, you know, early on, should be nine hundred or less. I mean, that's basically telling me the Buckeyes are a play on team, and definitely we know they're a play on team when they play Michigan. Unquestionably, that's why, you know, I'm from Ohio and I'm an Ohio State fan as a kid growing up. But I believe that I have to put that part myself away from all that as a fan and uh, as an analyst or a handicapper, but. Uh, that being the case here, this is still a football team that's loaded and, like we said, loaded for bear this football season as well. And do I have to ask? I mean, you, I'm, I would be, I'd fall out of my chair if you said I didn't think Ohio State was going to win the East. <laughs> well, they're going to win the East, and uh, I'd be surprised if they don't win the Big Ten in total. And I'll be, well, I'll be stunned if they don't win the Big Ten, and I'll be really surprised if they don't make the college football playoff. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I just. I keep thinking when I'm looking at that number, Mark, and I think Notre Dame is going to be real good. And maybe it's just the start of them being exceptionally good, elite, two or three years down the road. I think Marcus Freeman still has a lot to prove. But this just tells me this Ohio State team is might, might be the team to beat in all of college football. They could well be. I, you know, I think there's another team. We'll talk about them uh, when we get to that conference. But uh, they could end up being, you know, the team that everybody's going to be talking about this football season, especially if they get off to an impressive start against Notre Dame the first game of the season here. And they have, the edge they'll have, obviously, will be the coaching experience uh, with Day against Freeman from an experience standpoint. Uh, but again, you know, I would like I say, I'm going to be totally shocked and totally disappointed. This football team does not be the talk of everybody throughout the course of this 2022 season. We're previewing the Big Ten with Mark Lawrence from PlaybookSports.com. The season gets underway on the 3rd, which was when Northwestern faces Nebraska in Dublin, Ireland. What time we got to get up for that game? 9.30-ish? Or is that going to be a night game there? Is that, is that how it works? Uh, it'll be on my DVR, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, let's go to the West. Let's start with Illinois. Uh, if this team finds a way to get off to a decent start and the fact that they're going to have to replace 17 scholarship seniors, they could likely find them way, their way back into a bowl game, but that's a big if. 
Yeah, it's a huge if. And, you know, uh, one of the things a lot of people depended upon uh, this year was the transfer portal. They met with no success in the transfer portal, little to none. Uh, and, you know, they had returned 17 scholarship seniors on last year's team. Those kids are all gone. So, you know, those make for uh, rebuild, building block type things. For And Brett Bielma, who was hired there, is going to ultimately end up, I think, going the way he did at Wisconsin, starting out well and, you know, bottoming, bottoming out and maybe finding himself in another coaching job sooner than later. But th- it's not going to be a pretty season for Illinois this year by any uh, any shake of the imagination. Yeah, and, of course, I think this is not, another one of those situations where if you have two quarterbacks you don't have any quarterback and uh, it's a coin flip between DeVito and Sikowski it is you know uh, you got two quarterbacks that have both been starters before neither at at Illinois but uh, again a two-headed quarterback situation a lot of that's going to depend upon what kind of support they're going to ultimately end up having and uh uh, you know, they do have a new offensive coordinator coming in here from Texas San Antonio to maybe kickstart that attack. But uh, a lot of those places, uh, those the ships have to fall in place for this football team because they reside in a very, very expensive neighborhood. But you're pretty confident about them as far as being a play on team against Iowa in October. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, you can take a look at uh you know, in our stat logs, again, you take a look at the Illinois football team and what happened with them last year, and you can make cases for bad football teams, and I think we can do that in a game like this. First of all, I think Iowa's going to be a little bit overpriced this football season here, uh, just basically because of who they are and who they happen to be, and a lot of that is because of Kurt Ferentz, but it was Illinois that went toe-to-toe against Iowa last year. They got beat by 10 in the late stages of the game, but they out-yarded their football team and held them to 255 yards. Mentally, I think that's a, a big, big chip on the shoulder for Illinois going into a game like that. And, Mark, that's interesting you would say that about Iowa because you know, this is a team that certainly is very dangerous, hung around uh, you know, the finish in the top 25 again. I think it's what a fourth or fifth straight year they've done that. They, I, they're a little bit, you know, they have experience. Uh, they have some underclassmen to come back and help that this team out. But the one caveat that I think about as I go into the season with Iowa is maybe a kind of a wait and see thing with the Hawkeyes is this year they're not going to sneak up on anybody. I, and I felt like at, at times last year they kind of snuck up on people. I don't think that they're a, a team that anybody is going to say, oh, Hey, we, we we got their number this week. No big deal. Not after winning ten games last year, right. they just figured they don't they don't figure to sneak up on people. But again, that plays into what we just talked about. Look at those ten wins and look at their uh, their, their production on the field here. They allowed twenty six yards a game more than they gained last year, yet still won ten games in the season here. That's a no no. The only I think the biggest uh, thing that works in Iowa's favor this year is the fact that they did play a lot of underclassmen last year, the third most in the FBS. That usually works real well in a team's favor coming back because those kids are then juniors and uh, seniors the following football season. And Kirk Ferentz will probably make the best of that. But going in, heading into the football season here, I simply cannot back teams that win double-digit mar- double digit victories and allow more yards than they gain. And then, of course, going on to Minnesota, it's good to have Tanner Morgan back. They have a deep running game. They have three backs back there that have experience. Uh, just 12% of their starts last year were made by underclassmen, but with Morgan and that deep running game, they should be okay on the offensive end. 
Yeah, this team went from three wins to nine last year, and uh, they did it, uh, you know, again, they went backwards offensively 30 yards a game, but it was the defense that really came to the rescue last year. Uh, look at what they did. They improved 137 yards overall defensively. Uh, they're going to bring six of those starters back to this football team here. And uh, it's a football team that uh, under just only under 12% of their starts were made by underclassmen last year. So that means that they did play, and they, from all the experience that they had, the upperclassmen benefited that football team this year. Now, whether or not uh, they, they can find success again from underclassmen this football season remains to be seen. But like you mentioned, Tanner Morgan is back, and you know, the kid threw for over 3,200 yards and 30 touchdowns last year. That makes them legitimate. And they're also a team uh, that's a legitimate, legitimate bet on team when they're on the road playing high-caliber ca- teams. Yeah, that's, that's a P.J. Fleck uh, trait, if you will, Dana, uh, in his career with, or with Minnesota here. When they've taken to the road against 800 or better teams, he's done it six times. He's won the money all six games like that. So the bigger, the better the competition, the more Minnesota responds in football games just like that. And don't look now, but Scott Frost is still in Nebraska despite having his, his worst season as a head coach. But I think this is probably more of a, a reflection of his team being in every game. And probably if they could turn a few of those games around, uh, this season and the record would have looked a lot different. Well, you, let, let's go reverse here and go the opposite end of this thing here. He, he only won three games last year, but he really improved offensively and defensively on both sides of the stats. Those are those are what you call gainers or football teams that you want to make a situation for uh, the following year. Uh, the problem that he's having is this football team, while they, every year they seem to be in a better position than they were the year before, they don't develop. They just don't come through. Uh, now he's got the Texas quarterback from Casey Thompson. He's going to welcome him into the football program here. Uh, and the only reason that Scott Frost is back this year. I mean, I know he's a, a prodigal son and all the good stuff for Scott Frost in his days at Nebraska as a quarterback is the fact that he took a pay cut. And he took a pay cut because it's the only move that Nebraska could do. They couldn't choke themselves out, pay him and bring another coach in and pay another ludicrous salary. So, you know, the two have decided, okay, we'll do this. We'll, you know, we'll take a pay cut. Everybody will be happy and we'll see what happens. I think it makes Scott Frost take the pressure off him immensely that way this year. And I wouldn't be surprised if they do end up having their first winning season, a bowl season this year at Nebraska. And in October, you think it's a good spot uh, as they play at Purdue. Uh, you think that's a good spot to put your money behind? I do. Again, we'll go to the stat logs, and we see that they were home last year. They laid seven and a half to the Boilermakers at home, and they outyarded them in the football game. It was a four nothing negative turnover uh, uh, that really buried the football team here. So again, another reason for them to be up when they go to Purdue on October fifteenth. Are we still going to look at Northwestern and see one of the worst offenses in football? You know, it's a shame because I really, really admire Pat Fitzgerald, the head coach there. I mean, he does he does as fine a job as any Fitzgerald in any uh, of any coach in any level. Uh, his football team almost always overachieves, and they and they do a terrific job doing just that. He met with attrition last football season here. He only had four starters back on offense and four on defense, and it really hurt him. He had nothing to building blocks to build with, and, and it showed on the, with the three-win football season last year. So um, 
it's tough, and it's not going to be uh, – you take a look at the schedule this year. They, they're going to take on eight teams that were in bowl games last year. That's not real good at all either. But, you know, any time you find uh, Northwestern looking like they're down and out and very, very beatable, that's when he bites up and uh, uh, bites your hand. So it's a football team that uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they come back to a six-win season this year. Uh, one of the reasons is that uh, if you take a look, they get nine starters back on offense, coming back doing just that. Uh, with Ryan Holinsky, the quarterback, uh, he was the brother, unfortunately, of the quarterback, Holinsky, at Washington State that took his life. But mm-hmm. uh, it looks like uh, uh, looks like they're going to have, uh, I think it's going to meet with some success this football season, largely because it's a well-coached football team. What, what do we make of Purdue, Mark? Uh, they had a massive jump. Uh, from 2020, they had a win over Tennessee in the Music City Bowl. Uh, hard to replace David Bell for sure. But w- what are we looking at this year for the Boilermakers? Well, you know, you've got a, a Jeff Brom. Uh, he goes from two wins to nine wins last football season here. So, you know, he was a little bit teetering on a hot seat there. You know, he was. It, it was. Uh, I think it was fifth year last year, and uh, he was off of. Uh, success of losing seasons or a two-win effort in 2020 but they did bounce back and they bounced back well and uh they did it the old-fashioned way the smith barney way they earned it uh they improved offensively they improved defensively uh scoring offensively and defensively as well to match the yards the good thing for them is their quarterback aiden o'connell comes back and uh that's going to really help the football team you mentioned david bell he's off to the cleveland browns this year and uh he's a player that uh you know i keep a Good pulse in the Cleveland Browns, and uh, he's having an outstanding, outstanding uh, OTA. There was a point uh, he didn't drop a pass. They say the kid's got glue for hands, and he could end up being a rookie of the year type prospect for the Browns. But as far as Purdue is concerned this football season here, I think they feel really good about themselves in those nine wins they had last year, and especially closing out the season with the big bowl win against Tennessee, upsetting them as a seven-and-a-half-point dog. And, of course, a terrific stat that you have here or a trend that you have. Jeff Brom is 20-6 and six ATS as a dog of four or more points, including 10-0 and 0 after a loss. I think that's a real solid trend. That's, that speaks volumes for the head coach. You know, that's exactly right. He's a head coach that uh, knows how to get his football team back after a loss, and especially when they're cast into an underdog role. Uh, so maybe obviously plays with a bit of a chip on his shoulder. So that's, that's a golden coaching uh, stat there that you want to mark down. Keep that handy throughout the course of the season. And, of course, finally for Wisconsin, this is a tremendous defense. They're going to try to uh, avoid the same start that they had last year, but they won 8 of 9 to end the season. They allowed just 1.8 points in the first quarter, and that tied for the lowest in FBS. Yeah, that was pretty good. That's what Nebraska's all about, that defense. You look at that defense, my goodness, 239 yards a game. It was a brick wall. Uh, it's another reason that they won nine games, and it's another reason they're always in contention to be a, a leader to win the Big Ten West. And you take a look at what he's got coming back here this football season. You're a little bit light on the returning starter side of things, only five on the offense, three on the defense. But a very, very well-coached football team here. And, uh, you know, can they improve in the nine wins? Nah, you know, I think they take a nine-win season right now and take their chances about winning the West Division here. They're the type of team that nobody nobody in the Big Ten ever wants to play uh, in a must-win type situation. And it's interesting, in late November, you have them uh, at Nebraska, and you, you say they're a play-against team at Nebraska. When you, when you put these out as far as play for and play against, do you anticipate what the number will be at that point? Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you have to. You have to figure out. You know, you, you got to figure you're going to lay uh, double digits maybe in a, in a football game like that. Maybe up to double digits in a contest like that. And it might not be the best of situations for them. They're going to close out the season the week after Nebraska with a big revenge game against Minnesota. Here, they were seven point chalk at Minnesota, and they lost that football game uh, on the on the field there. So they could be caught in a little bit of a look ahead situation there when they take on Nebraska here. And if what we think about Nebraska pans out that they're an improved football team that they may be that could be a flat spot for Wisconsin when they take on Nebraska in the middle of November. Okay, Mark, and who wins the West? Who plays in the Big Ten Championship game? And who wins it? Well, I gotta put uh, I gotta put Wisconsin in there. Just a, a lot of pedigree, if you will, for, you know, for that football program. And uh, uh, until somebody steps up and says, "Hey, we're the guy, we're the team that can do that," and, you know, I like to I like to make a case for Purdue, but uh, or Iowa. But I think Iowa goes back this year, and uh, I, I don't think Purdue has the depth that Wisconsin has. So it's going to be another, I think, Ohio State Wisconsin football game for the Big Ten championship. And of course, I, I assume you think Ohio State's going to win the Big Ten. I do have Ohio State winning the Big Ten. Yes, I do. Okay. Well, Mark, we can't thank you enough for your work. I mean, this magazine is fantastic. Uh, We appreciate it. Tell everybody where they can get it. It's available uh, on newsstands. It will be on newsstands nationally at Barnes & Noble's Books of Millions beginning on July 12th. But it's in stock in Las Vegas now at the Gamblers Book Club. They got theirs, and they're flying off the shelves there now as well. If you can't get to any place, uh, you can always order it online at playbooksports.com, and we do ship it out by way of priority mail. So, uh, And I would suggest also, uh, not that I'm barking or trying to sell it, but uh, they're going to be in short supply this year because it was a paper shortage situation. So you want to get them before we say it's too late. Of course you would try to sell it, Mark. All this work <laughs> you put into it, why wouldn't you try to sell it? Well, I, I'm just not a barker. That's uh, I understand. You know, I, I, I'd rather let the let let the the magazine speak for itself. Uh, well, it, cer- it certainly does. I also want to ask you too. I, I see Joe Burrow's on the cover of the of the playbook. Do you have different covers of the playbook, or is this on everyone? No, he's on everyone. You know, uh, we're, we're, we're not a we're, we're uh, a, a low key operation. We can't afford to put different players in different covers in different regions and you know, do an Athlons type thing. But uh, you know, Joe Burrow will appear everywhere, depending on any part of the country. You see the Playbook Preview Guide magazine, you'll be looking at Joe Burrow's mug. I, I was partial to your 2003 cover, which I think is a Notre Dame helmet. I think. In 2000, yes, it was. It was a Fighting Irish Notre Dame helmet. Exactly right. I think that was one of our nicest covers as well. I agree with you. Well, I appreciate your time, Mark. And next week's conference is which one? Uh, Next week's conference, we go from the Big Ten to the Big 12. We'll keep it uh, Power 5, and we'll go to the Big 12 and talk about uh, what they have on tap this year. It's going to be obviously an evolving conference, uh, much like the the Pac-12 and the Big Ten and so forth and whatnot, but uh, a lot of goodies inside the Big 12 this year. And we'll look forward to discussing with that you next week. Well, by this time next week, Mark, Hawaii should be in the Patriot League. And uh, San Diego State, who, who once was going to go to the Big East, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. I mean, this is just complete geographical chaos. We have no idea what's going to happen from week to week. But we're always thankful to have your consistent voice previewing the conferences. Well, we look forward to doing that each and every week with you as well, Dana. And we'll try and make as much sense out of all this confusion as we can next week. All right, there he goes, Mark Lawrence from PlaybookSports.com. We're going to break in a in a minute, uh, but breaking news: there's been a trade in the NFL. Breaking news: we have Baker Mayfield going to the North Carolina Panthers. That's for not a, North Carolina Panthers, but but I, it's in North Carolina. But, <laughs> yes, it is. Um, but 
So basically, the Carolina Panthers are getting Baker Mayfield for a 2024 conditional fifth round draft pick, and that is all. They got <laughs> the the Browns lose their quarterback situation basically of Deshaun Watson's going to be gone for a while. Jacoby Brissett's they're going to be their quarterback, and we're seeing a new face in Carolina. And I think honestly, the Panthers might be a lot more dangerous now with Baker Mayfield because I think last year, if Baker Mayfield didn't get hurt. He's more in the MVP conversation than anything. I think he was going to have an amazing year last year. He got hurt, and then they kept on playing him. So him healthy, he's going to do a physical. Depending on a physical, he'll go to the Panthers. If he doesn't pass his physical, then he'll be still in the Browns. But I think he's going to pass his physical. We'll be good to go. So you think this, obviously, is a, is a benefit for Carolina if they're only giving up a fifth rounder? Oh, 100%. You got number one overall draft pick quarterback for a fifth-round pick, which... We're not. You're not going to get anything from that fifth round pick, unless it's like a Tom Brady esque player. But there's not going. That's not going to happen for a while, in my opinion. So I think that's a great pickup for the Carolina Panthers. I love the idea of Baker Mayfield with Christian McCaffrey and um, oh, well, DJ Moore. The, the yeah, good, DJ Moore. The good thing about Baker Mayfield is, for the most part, he's going to stay healthy. This isn't a situation where. You're you're gonna get a quarterback that's been injury prone. I I know he missed what three games last he year. He missed quite a few. He missed three games last year, but he was injured the whole year. Injured, but not not missing games. Yeah. And I've said this a million times, and I think this is great for Baker because I think well, and Cleveland's not that example anymore. But Detroit has always been that example where you have quarterbacks that just they get a taste of the NFL, they go to another organization with a little bit more seasoning, perhaps. Uh, it, in, it's not Cleveland's case anymore, but I think he's going to be a better quarterback in Carolina. Uh, you know, history would tell us that once you get out of Cleveland and once you get out of Detroit, you'll be you just good. Become better. Yeah, I mean the thing is with that is that Cleveland, it felt like they were trying to kill him out there. They they were like, "Oh, you're injured." Well, like a lot of his injuries were like like things you would see a normal quarterback. I'm like, let's say if you saw the Patriots, if Tom Brady got injured the way he did last year, he wouldn't be playing the whole year. They would have pulled him. Like we're not, we're not risking Tom Brady. Who cares? But they go, well, Baker Mayfield, even though he's slanted to have one of his best years of his career and had an amazing performance week one against the Chiefs, everyone forgot about that performance. He played lights out against the Chiefs week one last year. It was a close game. We thought it was going to be Browns, Chiefs in the playoffs. Then all of a sudden, he gets injured, and they keep on keep on playing him. He gets more and more injured. Now we're like, oh, Baker Mayfield's a horrible quarterback. No, what are we talking about? We overreacted last year. I think he's going to have a great year with Carolina. He has better weapons there. He has a better O-line there. He has a better running back there. I mean, the thing is that that team's going to be really good next year. Plus, of course, you hear the Panthers go, oh, yeah, well, it's not a guaranteed starting quarterback job. It's Sam Donald or him. You're going to play Baker Mayfield. So, I expect really? the Yeah. <laughs> really? Come on. What do you mean, come on? <laughs> But, you know, Sam Darnold is not going to be that starting quarterback over Baker Mayfield. So we're going to have Baker Mayfield on that team. You're going to have DJ Moore. You're going to have Christian McCaffrey. That's a good old line. They pick up um, uh, So I, I don't understand, like, I don't understand your, like, it's a foregone conclusion. You don't think Sam Darnold, if he didn't play for the Jets, would be thought of in a different light? No, he'd still be bad. He, he, okay. Well, I mean, that's that's your opinion on that. We're going to see how that there's no out. way Sam Donald's taking Baker Mayfield's spot on that on that roster. 
There's no way. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. I think it is. I, I think it's more about who plays better in preseason. I, I think that that I think there's still a job to be won. If I see Sam Darnold come out week one on that Carolina Panther team from what he did last year, I'm going to be in disbelief. I'm going to be in disbelief that Sam Darnold's playing if he comes off that week one from last season. Because that was such a horrible season by him. He had a horrible season. It's not a foregone conclusion. It's a foregone conclusion in my mind that you got a new quarterback of Baker Mayfield's talent and payroll, and you're going to be like, yeah, we're going to start Sam Darnold. I just think we're at a point where we're going to see the best. This is going to be the most seasoned. I mean, people think that Sam Darnold's been in this league forever. He's only been in the league four years. Yeah. Three of them were with the Jets. Bad year last year for sure. A ton of turnovers. I just think we're going to see the best of Sam Darnold. We and, might see the best of Sam Darnold. And I hang on to him a little bit because I think when you have a financial interest in some of his games, you watch a little bit closer. Mm-hmm. And I see there was there is talent there. And I just don't think it's this foregone conclusion that that's what's going to happen. It may happen. It may happen week one, but I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that this is he is head and shoulders worse than Baker Mayfield. I thought Baker Mayfield was going to be an MVP candidate last year after that first one week one game, and then he gets injured, and I'm like, okay, well that's his MVP. That's, that's the that's the Brown season done, which was right. And Sam Donald, I've never had really faith in ever since I've seen him came come into the league and start playing. The Jets, it's understandable that he didn't do good on the Jets because it's the Jets. But, but you go to Carolina when you have a good receiving core and you're throwing turnovers constantly. I mean, Baker come Mayfield on. Baker is still an under 500 quarterback. You can't compare what you've done with the Jets versus what Baker Mayfield had in Cleveland. He's still an under 500 quarterback in this league. I mean, look, it's the he gets injured that year and we start, start losing games because it's an injured Baker Mayfield and he can't throw the ball right. If he's healthy that year, he's not a, he's not an under five hundred quarterback. If he's healthy that whole year, they're winning a lot more games. I don't see there's I don't see that there's any way that you can say Sam Donald is better than Baker Mayfield at all right now. There's not any, there's not even a chance in my eyes. Mayfield threw thirteen picks last year. How many did Sam Donald throw? Probably around the same amount and a lot less games. <laughs> no, it's not a lot less games. Didn't he play like half the games last year and then got benched? I played in twelve games. 12 games versus an injured Baker Mayfield around the same amount of picks. It's All right, we'll get into the stat. We're going to yeah. take a break. When we come back, that does it for Sportsbook Radio. You didn't bite. I'm not buying on I that. I just wanted you to. <laughs> I can't fire you up. All right, <laughs> take a break. When we come back, uh, Vegas Hockey Hotline uh, will be on. We'll, we'll talk about the Vegas Golden Knights. It looks like their preseason schedule is rounding into form. And, of course, their developmental camp, uh, their schedule has been announced, and we'll get to that as well. 